This episode of Lex Out Loud is brought to you by my patrons, readers, and listeners. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, visit LexStarWalker.com support. You're listening to episode 69 of Lex Out Loud, writing science fiction. I'm your host, Lex Starwalker. This show is a chronicle of my journey as a science fiction novelist. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I am Lex Starwalker, and I'm out loud. And I am coming back for yet another season of this super niche podcast, <laughs> Lex Out Loud, uh, starting season four. It's great to be back, and I am really excited to to get back to the show and and do some new things. And uh, sorry, it's been so long. I, I did not plan on having this long of a break between season three and season four. But uh, I've been super busy. A lot's been happening and uh, more on that in a bit. But uh, first of all, I thought I would let you know that I'm going to try something a little different with the show this season. Um, Getting back to my roots in a way. Uh, I'm going to try to structure the show a little bit more like like some of the other podcasts I've done in the past. Namely, I'm going to have segments on the show now. Um, so right now I'm thinking that the show will be organized into four segments. So the first segment, which is this one that you're listening to at the moment, I'll update you on what I've been up to since the last episode. And then the second segment will be some kind of writing tip or writing advice or something that I've learned about writing. And then the third part of the show will be the main segment or the main topic, whatever that may be. And and that will be probably a variety of of different kinds of things. And um, for instance, this week, I'll talk about my experience so far querying agents and also a bit about what I'm planning next. And then the final segment will be the wrap-up and, and parting thoughts. So not a huge change, um, just a, a little bit more structure to the show. Um, really, the, the biggest change, I guess, is uh, trying to do some kind of a writing tip every week. And uh, I'm going to try to keep those short and sweet and uh, just kind of general little, you know, things I've learned, tricks of the trade, um, that kind of thing. So as I said, I I know it's been a bit since the last episode. It's been a couple, two, three months, I think. And uh, apologies for that. It was a bit longer of a hiatus than I had planned. But the big reason for it is I have moved yet again. Um, <laughs> those of you that, that have been with me for for years with the various podcasts uh, are probably uh, amazed that yet again I have moved. I, I seem to be moving all the time in the last decade or so. But uh, I think now we we finally landed somewhere that that we're going to be happy to stay for a while. 
Um, we just bought a, a really nice condo in Edmonds, Washington. Uh, this is a town and a part of the town that that we've wanted to live uh, since we first moved to Washington um, over a decade ago. Uh, we're, we're in a part of Edmonds for anyone from this area or in this area called the Bowl, which is uh, really close to Puget Sound, really close to the shore. Um, we can actually see the water from, from our balcony, which is pretty sweet. Uh, it's about a 10-minute walk to the beach and about a three-minute walk to downtown where there's bars and restaurants and shops and, and all that good stuff. So uh, my wife and I are, are big walkers. We like walking and um, we love living somewhere where basically anywhere we'd want to go, uh, there's something that we can walk to in just a few minutes. Um, and yeah, or I, I should say it's a three-minute drive to about anywhere, uh, anywhere in the, uh, in the town really. And then, yeah, it's probably about a 10 minute, five, 10 minute walk to, to go anywhere. Um, but yeah, we love it here. Uh, we love our, our condo and, and we love the location. Um, the, the move was, was very fast and very hectic. Um, but, but we're finally getting settled in now that the dust is, is finally clearing and of course, it's been a very stressful time for us. You know, moving always is. Um, you know, it's funny because I, I sometimes have to remind myself that, that moving is like one of the big life stressors. Um, you know, give myself a little a little breathing room or whatever um, because it, it is really stressful. I, I remember when I was in college, uh, one of my psychology classes I took, there was a discussion about um, the, the major stresses in life, um, big, big events that, that cause a lot of stress. And these are times when, you know, people who struggle with things like depression or anxiety um, are, are really going to struggle or, you know, times when even people that don't have uh, those issues are are going to struggle just because it, it's so incredibly stressful. And um, some of those times are, you know, a death in the family, uh, but also things like moving, uh, quitting a job, starting a new job. Um, if you're going to school, you know, starting school uh, are, are like these big major life stressors. Um, death of a pet, I think was on the list, but yeah, you know, moving is one of those. And, and, you know, sometimes when you're in it, you can kind of forget that and think that like, you should just be able to handle this like just another day and it's not a big deal, but, but it really is a big deal. Um, especially when you're buying and or selling property, um, it's even more stressful and, and more involved. Um, and, and for someone who's never done that, I'd, I'll just say that it's, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. It's a lot of meetings and paperwork and you know filling out forms and and just all these hoops you got to jump through. And then you know that's on top of you know packing everything and moving everything and all that. But but all that said, it was far less stressful than my last move, which was actually less than a year ago uh, when we sold our house and and 
we sold our house in Bellingham and moved to a uh, apartment in Mill Creek. And that move was insane. Um, we did that one in even less time. This this move we did in like three weeks, I think, between... Um, well, actually, it was like four weeks between the time we decided we were going to start looking for a place and when we actually moved because we found a place like right away. Um, but uh, the actual like moving process was about three weeks. But when we moved from our house, it was, I think, two weeks. And yeah, it was crazy. And, and we were moving from in a house to an apartment. So there was just so much stuff we had to get rid of. Just stuff we didn't ha- we wouldn't have room for and stuff we wouldn't need that, you know, you you accumulate as a homeowner that you don't need when you're living in an apartment. You know, things like a lawnmower and air conditioners and um ladders and tree trimmers and just all this stuff that uh we had to get to get rid of. Um and it's funny, you know, w- when I grew up as a kid you know, you just take all that stuff to the dump and and be done with it. It wasn't such a big deal. But nowadays, um, you know, that's not, that's not cool. I mean, it was never cool. We just, I guess, didn't know better. But, um, you know, we had to recycle what we could and sell what we could and give away what we could and, you know, throw away what we had to. And yeah, it was, it was a mess. It was super stressful. So this wasn't nearly as bad um, compared to that. Um, which, which I'm grateful for. So, so yeah, you know, we did that. And then, uh, on top of all that, we had, uh, some drama (laughs) once we moved in, um, some, some kind of unforeseen things came up. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny when we bought our house years ago, we, we didn't have any problems at all, um, of any kind. And, uh, I, I guess, uh, we made up for that good luck this time because, uh, the very night that we moved in, uh, my wife and I both took a shower and um, <laughs> I'm like feeding the the cat and the cat's food is in the little kind of closet where the water heater is. And I'm like getting the cat's food out and the cat is like just got her face all in the, the um, tray thing that the water heater sits in and she's all like super interested in this water heater um, so I'm like, what is she looking at? And find out the water heater is leaking. And this is a, a water heater that had only been installed like a couple months ago. Um, it's brand new. Uh, shouldn't be leaking. Uh, so we had to get the water heater replaced. Uh, luckily it was under warranty, so that didn't actually cost us anything. But then we found out that the toilet was leaking and the bathroom faucet was leaking. Um, so we had to replace both of those, which which was quite expensive. And then we also had to buy a new washer and dryer. Um, we knew we were going to have to get those going in because um, they were crazy old. Um, but I was I was hoping that we'd at least be able to wait a while. But <laughs> turns out that the, the uh, spin cycle on the washer wasn't really working, and the dryer just took like multiple cycles to dry things. So um, we decided to replace them. So those are coming tomorrow. And then finally, hopefully, knock on wood, uh, the the calamities will be over and the big uh, unexpected expenses will be over. And uh, we can just enjoy living here. Um, ironically, 
we were living in an apartment, renting an apartment, and we've now bought a condo. And our monthly expenses as far as like our our uh, mortgage payment um, and the HOA payment are less than our rent was at the apartment. Um, yeah, apartments are just ridiculous what they charge for rent, especially around here. And and then every every year when your lease renews, they jack it up even more. Um, so yeah, that that year that we spent in the apartment kind of sucked. And and I am really really happy to be uh, have my own place again and not be paying rent anymore. And and yeah. Um, back on track, I feel like, but, but yeah, it's been a pretty stressful and hectic time. So I haven't had, uh, the time to podcast and, uh, yeah, I finally, I I've actually, it's Friday. I've been trying to record this episode all week. Um, starting on Monday, every single day I've been like, I'm going to record Lex out loud today. And, uh, every single day other stuff came up and, and it didn't happen. But, uh, here I am today on Friday, um, which, which is funny because I, a lot of times end up recording this show on Fridays. It's just, you know, Fridays are usually a light day for me with my writing and stuff. Well, not, I do as much writing on Friday as I do other days, I guess, but I, I don't know why, why do I do it on Friday? I don't know. I, I guess I don't even have a reason. It's just the way it shakes out. So, um, yeah, here we are, uh, episode 69, season four. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it boggles my mind that I've been doing this show this long already. Um, but, but I enjoy doing the show and I am really looking forward to getting back into it. Um, let's see, where am I? I, I've been rambling on and totally lost my place. Uh, yeah, so, so that's what's been going on as far as just, you know, moving and all that stuff. As far as, you know, my writing, um, I've started querying agents since the last episode. I've, at this point, I've queried two agents uh, with my novel Critical Balance. I actually queried the first agent uh, back in January, um, right before we realized we were going to move. And um, so I decided I'd wait and, you know, finish the move and all that before, before I queried any more agents. Uh, so I queried the second, uh, this Monday and I'm playing, planning to query the third agent, uh, this coming Monday after the weekend. Um, just, and, and the reason I'm kind of like spacing them out like this, for those of you that, that know about agent querying, you know, usually you would query, you know, a few agents at a time at least, but, uh, I, kind of had my my top five that, uh, you know, agents that I wanted, um, the, my top five picks. And so I'm querying those first and just doing one a week um, in the hopes that maybe, you know, one of them will actually want to pick me up. And, and then, you know, if so, I'm not in a situation where I've got a bunch of queries out and now I got to get a bunch of hold of a bunch of agents and and tell them I'm no longer looking. Um, so I'm like, yeah, you know, for my my top pick agents, there's just a few of them. Uh, I'll give each of those a week before I do the next one. And then once I get through those, I'll start doing like maybe three to five, three to five a week, 
to start with. And then I might ramp it up from there. Um, but yeah. And unfortunately of my top five or six agents, uh, at this time, there are only three of those that are accepting, uh, submissions from, from people they don't already know or, or someone that's not coming recommended to them from a colleague or, or something like that. So, um, I think I had five or six on the list, uh, but it got cut down to, to three because a few of them um, just either they're not agenting anymore or they can't take on any new clients or they're only accepting submissions from some someone that's, you know, like I said, recommended by a colleague or or someone they know or something like that. So, so yeah, there's only three of those. And then I'm just... Um, you know, going to cast a wider net after that. Uh, I'm using this website called Query Tracker, uh, which is an online tool to help you keep track of the agency query. And it, you know, it keeps track of how long it's been. Um, it's also a place where you can find information on agents and, and looks agents up. And just the other day, I just did a quick search for agents that that represent science fiction that are accepting, uh, you know, uh, blind submissions right now. And it was, I don't remember the exact number, but it was somewhere between a hundred and 150, I think. So assuming it's say 150 agents, um, if I did 10 a week, it would take me 15 weeks to, to get through them all. Um, so, so yeah, I'm going to start with three to five just because the, the querying process is pretty involved. And, and, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, a little bit more, but uh, it, it's involved. It takes time to do. Um, so I'm sure I could get to the point where I can do two, 10 a week, but I think I'll start out a bit smaller and work my way up uh, because I want to do other things too. I don't want to just spend all my time querying agents, I want to start working on my next book as well. So at this point, I've gotten feedback from most of my beta readers on Critical Balance. I did not have to make any major changes based on beta feedback. I, I made some minor changes, but, but no big sweeping changes that required me to completely redo the whole book again, which, which is good. Um, I'm, I'm still waiting on feedback from, from a few of the betas, but, um, I decided I'm, I'm not going to wait on that to query. Um, obviously I'm already querying, um, because I'm pretty confident now that if there were any changes I would need to make based on feedback from these remaining betas, that, that there'll be minor changes. There'll be quick fixes. They won't be like total rewrites or anything like that. And, you know, technically, I have until an agent asked me for the full manuscript to make revisions. You know, it's, it's at the moment that an agent says, send me your full manuscript that I need to have the full manuscript ready. Um, you know, that's like the moment I really have to have it. Uh, so until that moment, I could, you know, if, if I get feedback from a beta and they have something, uh, a suggestion that I, I want to make a change based on, then, then I could still do that. So, so yeah, I, I decided, um, 
to start querying because I, I feel like the, the book's really solid where it's at. And any changes I make at this point are going to be really minor changes. And honestly, I, I don't think anything like that would be anything that would really make a huge difference as to whether an agent would take me on or not. I don't think they'd be deal breakers for the book. They'd be little things. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of where, where I'm at. I finally started thinking about the next book again. So I feel really good about that. So yeah, that's uh, basically what I've been up to uh, since I talked to you last and kind of where I'm at and where I'm heading. And so we can now move on to this week's writing tip. So as I said at the top of the show, I decided for this season, I'd try doing some kind of a writing tip in every episode. And I'm going to try to keep these simple and straightforward and short. Um, I am not a an expert on writing. I am not a guru on writing. Um, so I very much like, I, I don't want this to be a thing of where it seems like I'm trying to teach you how to write or how to write the quote right way or the best way or anything like that. Um, more this is me sharing things I learn with you in the hopes that maybe, you know, someone else could benefit from this, this new thing I just learned. Um, so, so these tips will tend to be a lot of things that, that I've learned recently or that I'm learning now or things I've just like little eureka moments I've, I've had uh, recently. Um, or, you know, they, they might be other things, but, but the idea is to every week give um, some kind of a tip uh, to maybe help you out and, and also perhaps to um, be a launching point for discussion because, you know, one thing that keeps coming back to me over and over again, anytime I interact with other writers or hear another writer talk about what they do and how they do it is there, there really are few, if any absolutes in writing. I mean, there are rules that we follow and, and things like that, but at the end of the day, they, they're, you know, I'd venture to say there's nothing that's absolute. There, there's no statement you could make about writing that that is always going to be true in every single situation. Um, you know, it, a lot of it, you know, it, it can depend on what you're writing. You know, it, the rules are different for writing a novel than they are for writing a nonfiction book. And different rules still for writing a movie review or a newspaper article or, you know, an article for a magazine or writing a blog or writing an email. I mean, basically any kind of writing you do is going to have its own kind of rules and customs and best practices and things like that. And they vary. Um, writing varies based on where you are and who you're writing for. You know, if you're in the United States writing American English, there are going to be different rules than if you're in England writing British English or you're in Canada. Um, 
And it also, you know, depends, well, I guess more to the point, it depends who you're writing for than where you are, right? You you write for who you're writing for. So, um, you know, if you're writing for a British publisher and you're writing for, you know, people in, in the UK, then, then you use their rules. You know, if you're writing for uh, the Canadian market, you use their rules. If you're writing for the United States, you use our rules, right? Um, this goes to the style guides. Um, you know, if you're writing novels in the United States, you're using Chicago Manual of Style. If you're writing, you know, journalism for newspapers or magazines in the United States, you're using the AP style guide and and so on. So, you know, it depends who you are, what kind of writing you're doing, who you're writing for, who your audience is, is going to change the rules. And then there's just style, right? Not everybody writes the same way. Um, and sometimes you'll make stylistic choices that, that will lead to you, quote, breaking rules. Um, so yeah, so it's really hard to say, you know, you should always do this or you should never do this in, in writing. Um, so that's why I say that, you know, these writing tips could be the beginning of a, of a conversation or a discussion or a debate. Um, because like I said, there, there's not really many, if any absolutes in writing. So I might give a tip and say, this is what I've learned. This is what works for me. And people may disagree with that, or people may have other approaches that work just as well for them. And, you know, when that happens, I, I'd love to hear from people. Um, because I, I love hearing about how other people write even when it's completely different from, from what I do and how I do it, um, I still find it really interesting. And, and sometimes I can learn something uh, from how someone else does things, even if it's very different from, from my own approach. So today's writing tip is something that I remember very clearly learning in the first university-level creative writing class that I took. Um, so this isn't something that I've learned recently, um, obviously. Uh, it's something I learned a long time ago. However, it's something that's been on my mind recently, lately, because I've been still reading a lot of the Query Shark blog, and this is something that she harps on a lot. Um, and she comes back to it again and again and again. So not only is this a great tip for just writing in general, for writing novels, um, or any kind of fiction, uh, or any kind of writing, honestly. Um, but it's also a great tip for writing queries specifically. And this tip is very simple. And indeed this tip falls under the category, which, which I think is an umbrella that covers a lot of tips for good writing, which could be summarized as simply keep it simple. <laughs> Don't uh, don't overthink things. Don't uh, don't uh, defeat yourself. So this week's tip is simply write simple sentences. That's it. A three word tip for you this week, my friends. Write simple sentences. And what I mean by that specifically is write sentence with the following structure: subject, verb 
object or subject verb clause. For example, Nikki ate flautas or Lex walked his cat. Subject, verb, object. Another way to say this is don't write backward sentences. <laughs> I don't know why. I honestly don't know why inexperienced writers do this so much, but they certainly do. do. Um, it seems universal. I know I was guilty of this, which is why I still remember learning this lesson so well, even now, almost 30 years later from when I first learned it. So I, the first story I remember writing was in third grade. And I've talked about it on the show before. It was for a class assignment. It was this silly little story about a boy with a Snoopy, a magical Snoopy lunchbox that would take him to the world of Snoopy and he could go hang out with Snoopy. Um, That was the first story I ever remember writing. I, I wrote a few stories through elementary school and the rest of my um, pre-college years. And every time I did so, whatever teacher always, you know, praised it and said, I was really good at this and I should do more of it, blah, 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 blah. So I got this idea in my head from a pretty young age that I'm a pretty good writer, um, better better than, you know, a lot of the other kids in, in my class. Um so I, I had this idea, and as I got into high school, um, I started putting more real energy into writing. I, I wrote poetry. Um, I wrote... Uh, I'm trying to think. You know, I don't recall... I wrote a lot of terrible poetry in high school, but uh, I don't recall actually writing any fiction in high school, but I do know that, uh, you know, we would often often have to write essays um, and papers and whatnot for class. And, and I always, um, you know, really, really went, went all out, went all in. <laughs> Anytime I had any kind of writing assignment, always went above and beyond, always did more than was asked for, and, and always really enjoyed it. It always got really good grades on anything I wrote. Just got good grades in general. So when I got to college, I thought I was a really good writer, like better than most, or at least, you know, not not compared to like professional writers, but better than most just college students, let's say. Um, so I took, uh, I think it was my freshman year. It was either freshman or sophomore year. I took a couple creative writing classes. I took a, um, just a plain old creative writing class. It was just creative writing in general. And then I took a fiction writing class. Um, and I took them in the, the same semester. And it was in one of those classes. I think it was the fiction writing one, but I'm not 100% sure which of the two it was that I learned this lesson um, because I was writing a lot of backward sentences. I was writing a lot of these really wordy, awkward, convoluted sentences. And I'll never forget, you know, I the, the first assignment, whatever it was, some kind of, you know, creative writing assignment. Um, I'll never forget when I got it back 
you know, having that moment that a lot of people have in college where, you know, you're used to just acing things without even trying in high school and you get your first assignment back in college and there's red ink everywhere and you're like, what is this? <laughs> you mean I'm not perfect? What What's going on? I have to work now? <laughs> but yeah, I, I was... Um, surprised. I, I was expecting to get this, this, whatever it was I wrote back, you know, with a great job, well done, you're awesome. And instead, you know, there were criticisms. And one of the big ones was, you know, he kept circling all these sentences where I was writing these backward sentences, beginning with clauses instead of beginning with the subject. I was not doing subject, verb, object. I was doing some other structure um, and yeah, it's terrible writing. So, um, he rewrote some of them for me and was just always like, you know, rewrite this. This is way too awkward of a sentence. And it, it really stuck with me. And it's something now, um, that I focus on even more recently, uh, when I was writing this last novel, because I knew I wanted to write commercial fiction. And, you know, something very important about writing successful commercial fiction that, that I think some at least beginning writers um, either completely overlook or don't um, pay enough attention to is making your writing clear and easy to understand and, and having a flow to it where it just trucks along, right? And, you know, if you're writing a bunch of backwards convoluted sentences and if you're writing a bunch of paragraph long sentences, um, it, it's not going to do that. It's it's going to be the opposite of easy to understand, easy to follow, and and have a a brisk pace to it. So uh, and a good flow. So yeah, write simple sentences: subject, verb, object. So yeah, I don't know why experienced, inexperienced writers do this so much. I know I did it. I know it seems like everybody does it. Um, I don't know why. Um, so as I said, I, I thought of this for our tip this week because I've been reading Query Shark, um, which again, if you're going to query ever, uh, read that blog and read every single post. Uh, it's well worth your time. But uh, I've been reading her blog a lot and and she harps on this, you know, writing simple sentences, subject, verb, object, a lot um, for queries, but also for your actual novel. Um, so yeah, it's just been on my mind and and I just remember learning this lesson myself and how it really changed my writing. And... Um, you know, my, my, since then, my writing isn't always perfect. It isn't always great. <laughs> um, but since then, it's seldom something I'm embarrassed by. Um, this kind of thing, like if you don't follow this advice, if you're writing these backward sentences, that's the kind of writing where when you read it years later, you're going to be mortified that you <laughs> wrote it. Um, you're going to be like, oh my God, that's so terrible. Um, so these days, you know, even when I write something that I don't like or, or doesn't work or whatever, I, I'm usually not like, you know, humiliated by it. Like some of the stuff I wrote back then. Um, so I, I think this is something that, that if you can take this to heart, 
Um, it will greatly improve your writing, especially if you are someone who's prone to writing backwards sentences. Um, so you're, I've been rambling on about this and you might not even still know what I'm talking about unless you're super good at grammar. And even then you'd have to be good at that abstract thinking and able to like, you know, some of this stuff is just a lot easier if you can see it written down. But I think the easiest way to do this is with some examples. So there are actually pros and cons, I think, to discussing this on a podcast. The con is what I just said. You can't see it written out. Um, but the pro is, is you're going to hear me read these sentences to you. And, you know, that's a great way to know if you have an awkward or um, unnatural sounding sentence is to read it out loud because you you may or may not notice it Um when you just read it in your head, I, I think that depends on how well you audiate. Um, like for instance, for me, I, I audiate very well. I think I'm using the right word there. Um, what I'm talking about is uh, the ability to hear things in your head. For instance, to hear a song in your head. Um, some people can't do this at all. Um, some, some people can do it to greater or lesser degrees. Me, I, um, I am in a way cursed with really good ability to audiate to where I, if I know a song well, I can listen to the whole song complete with, you know, all the verses, all the choruses, all the solos in my head from beginning to end. Um, part of that's cause, cause I am a musician, so I pay attention to the music, but part of it's just like, I can audiate. So, um, the, the reason I say I'm cursed with that is because I am very, very susceptible to earworms. I, I get a song in my head and I can't get it out because I can hear it. I, it'll just play. It's like listening to a CD where it's just repeating a track over and over. It'll literally play over and over in my head. And sometimes I can't get it to stop. Um, but uh, I, I've learned some tricks for that on how to get that to stop. But uh, um, yeah, so... Anyway, my point is, is I am really good at audiating. So for me, the difference between reading something in my head and reading something out loud isn't really much of a difference because when I read it in my head, I'm hearing myself read it out loud, if that makes sense. I actually hear my own voice reading the thing, um, unless it's Stephen King. And then I hear his voice reading it because I've <laughs> I've listened to enough of his audiobooks that if I read Stephen King, it's like he's talking to me. I can hear his voice in my head. Um so yeah, so so if you're someone who does not audiate well or at all, then um reading out loud will will be of great use to you because it it'll be a totally different experience um than reading it in your head and, and you may hear things that sound awkward that you wouldn't realize just reading it. Another trick um, to help you even more is read it out loud and record yourself reading out loud and then play it back and listen to it. Um, and then you can really hear stuff that you might not even ca catch reading it out loud. But anyway, that's kind of a tangent. So, so yeah, it, it'll help a bit this being a podcast because I'm going to read this stuff out loud and you will probably hear how awkward these sentences sound and why it's not good writing. So yeah, we'll do a couple examples here to hopefully uh, make this clear what, what I'm talking about today. 
So I'll give you an example from Query Shark's blog that, that I picked out. Um, I'm not going to tell you what where this is from specifically or who wrote this because my purpose here is not to shame some poor writer. <laughs> but my purpose is just to, to illustrate um, why simple sentences are your friend and, and why you really want to avoid writing these backward sentences. And, and when you do use them, use them very sparingly. sparingly. <laughs> All right. So consider this sentence. Pulled into the quest are two key characters, Rebecca and Phoebe. Okay, I'll read it again. Pulled into the quest are two key characters, Rebecca and Phoebe. You might not even know what I just said to you because it's backwards and awkward and what the hell did that even mean? Pulled into the quest are two key characters, Rebecca and Phoebe. So can you hear why this is bad writing? Does this sentence sound natural to you? Does this sound like something someone would say? If if someone were telling you this story around a campfire, is this how they would say it? Pulled into the quest are two key characters, Rebecca and Phoebe. Or does it sound awkward? Does it sound unnatural? Does it sound so unnatural and awkward that you're not even sure what it said? If you're reading it, you'd have to read it two, three times to even figure out what it's saying. Or you have to listen to me say it a few times to figure out what it's saying. So here's a better way to write the same sentence, say the same thing. So instead of pulled into the quest are two key characters, Rebecca and Phoebe, why not say Rebecca and Phoebe are pulled into the quest? So we're using the same words. We're just putting it in the more natural order of subject, Rebecca and Phoebe, verb, are pulled, object or a clause into the quest, right? The first sentence, we started with pulled into the quest, which is the verb <laughs> and the object. And then we have our two key characters, Rebecca and Phoebe, um, which is your subject. So it's all out of order. Also, um, we shortened it. So we turned that into Rebecca and Phoebe are pulled into the quest. Hear how much clearer, simpler, and more natural that sounds. Hear how you you get it, like you understand what I said the first time. Rebecca and Phoebe are our subject. Our pulled is our verb. Into the quest is, is the object or, or the clause. Um, subject, verb, object. This also condenses an 11-word sentence to an 8-word sentence. Pointing out that Rebecca and Phoebe are characters is redundant and not needed. Obviously, they're characters. Don't need to tell you that. It's be like pointing out that they're people. Um, we also don't need to point out that they are, quote, key characters. As, you know, this is coming from a query, and the only characters you should be talking about in the query are the main character, or maybe two main characters. Um, so you don't need to, in a query, say that they're the main characters because that's that's assumed and understood. So, you know, part of this was putting the words in the right order. And then part of it was just removing words that are redundant and don't need to be there. So we went from pulled into the quest are two key characters, Rebecca and Phoebe, to Rebecca and Phoebe are pulled into the quest. But you know what? We can do even better than that. Our pulled isn't really a great verb. 
Um, for one, it's using two words when you only need one word. And it's also passive voice. And passive voice, here's a, a little hint for you. Passive voice almost always, if not always, results in longer, more unwieldy, and more unnatural sounding sentences than active voice. So instead of saying Rebecca and Phoebe are pulled into the quest, we can say Rebecca and Phoebe join the quest. So now this is an active voice. Instead of Rebecca and Phoebe being pulled into something by some other force against their will, they are now joining the quest. They are acting. They are doing something instead of having something done to them. Um, it's subject, verb, object. And I have condensed what was originally an 11-word sentence into a six-word sentence, all without losing any meaning at all. And in fact, not only did I get the same meaning with five fewer words, but the meaning is much more clear in my version because all those extra words don't actually clarify anything. They just confuse it. And, you know, I was wondering a little bit ago why... Is this such a common mistake made by inexperienced writers? And I think maybe this might be part of it, is I think maybe when we're starting out in writing and we don't really know what we're doing yet, but maybe we think we do, that we think that adding more words is going to make something more clear because it's more information, right? But in reality, a lot of times, adding more words makes things less clear. It makes it harder to understand. So that's something you have to learn because it it can go against um, your assumptions or um, what it seems like it would be. It, it goes against, um, yeah, your assumptions. All right, let's do another example. So here's another uh, terrible sentence from the Query Shark blog. Along with its bearer, the artifact is prophesied to one day unite all people when their very survival is threatened. So uh, I'm actually going to quote Query Shark here, let her handle this one. She says, this is where very plain noun verb clause structure is your friend. It is prophesied. So here's the original sentence. Along with its bearer, the artifact is prophesied to one day unite all people when their survival is threatened. She changed it to, it is prophesied that one day the artifact and its bearer will unite all people when their very survival is threatened. Again, just putting things in the right order. Um, she didn't even like cut down the words or anything, but just by reordering it into the right order, it's a lot easier to understand. Here's another one. At the touch of her hand, he bursts into flames. Super awkward, right? Also, it's passive. At the touch of her hand, he bursts into flames. Um, or no, I guess it's not passive. It's just really awkward because it's backwards. Consider instead, he bursts into flames at the touch of her hand. How much better is that, right? We just went from zero to hero just by reordering the same words. So as I said, this is a very common, probably universal mistake made by inexperienced writers. Again, I don't know why, Um if I had to guess, I'd, I'd guess maybe part of it comes from a misguided idea that good writing should be more fancy or more pretentious or more wordy or, or something like that. I, I think that's what I was thinking uh, back when I was in college and I learned this les lesson. I, I was thinking, 
you know, I need to use big words and these complex structures uh, because that's what good writing was. Like, you know, anybody could write simply, you know, if you want to be a good writer, you have to be fancy. That's what I thought. And actually, it's kind of the opposite. It's true. Writing simply is actually quite difficult. Now, before you start writing me an angry email, I will remind you, again, that there are no absolutes in writing. That's part of the artistry and the beauty of it. And frankly, why I love it is there are no hard and fast rules. Um, you know, you you got to learn the rules and know the rules like the back of your hand. But But then the artistry comes in and you have to decide when and how to use the rules and, and when the rules aren't going to serve you well and when you need to do something else. It's not a paint-by-numbers kind of thing. So am I saying that you can never, ever use a sentence with any order other than subject, verb, object? No, of course not. I'm not saying that. There is a time and place for sentences like that if you use it keyword sparingly and also important, artfully. And, and do it well. Like the, these sentences we've been talking about today, none of them do it well. They, they're all just bad sentences. But yeah, you know, you can occasionally write some backward sentence, you know, if you're doing it for a good reason, for a purpose, to, to achieve an effect. You know, it can be very effective. But, you know, if every sentence is that way, it, it's awful. So right now, I personally can't think of a single better way to make your writing sound or read amateurish than to have all of your sentences have an order other than subject, verb, object. Just try it. Write a paragraph where every sentence has some structure other than subject, verb, object, and read it back, and you will have a terrible paragraph. I promise you. It's like shooting yourself in the foot with a grenade launcher. So why is this a bad thing? I mean, there's probably some technical grammatical reason or explanation for why you shouldn't do this. But honestly, we don't even need to go there. We don't need that. Once again, the simple answer is more than sufficient and is exactly what we need. The reason this is not desirable is because it makes your writing harder to follow and harder to understand. It makes your prose sound awkward, stilted, unnatural, etc. In a word, it, it makes you sound like an amateur. You know, if good writing sounds like poetry, this is whatever the opposite would be. <laughs> so yeah, that's my tip for today is write simple sentences, subject, verb, object. Well, what a shock. My writing tip went long. I knew this week's was going to do that because um, I wanted to use examples and just my notes got really long um, because I wanted to have some examples and talk about them. But it's all right. Hopefully you enjoyed it. So for our next segment today, um, I thought I would share some of my thoughts on my agent querying so far 
and kind of where I'm going next with my writing. And and I think that'll that'll do it for episode 69. So there are kind of different elements of querying an agent. Um, there are different aspects to it. And they're all really important. And they all kind of involve their own skill sets and and things you got to learn and practice and and be good at doing and and things like that. So, you know, one of these is the actual query letter. And and I've talked about this on the show before, but it's kind of like the cover letter for a resume. Um, A a query letter is basically like a cover letter for your novel. Um, A lot of times what, what an agent will do is, you know, let's say... You, you find this agent you really like, you go to their website, you find their submission guidelines, um, how you can submit to them. Um, a lot of times those guidelines will be something like, you know, send me a query letter along with the first chapter of your manuscript or the first 10 pages or something like that. Or sometimes they just want a query letter and nothing else. Um but a lot of times they want a query letter in like the first chapter or first two chapters, something like that. So you need to write the query letter. And the query letter is very short, you know, one page or less document, like 250 words is, is what you're shooting for, if I remember right. And uh, in that, you introduce the book. And, and it's kind of like a trailer for a book. You know, that's a great analogy. Like, if you think of a movie trailer, that's exactly what you're trying to do with your query letter, only you don't want to be cheesy like movie trailers are. But um, you know how a movie trailer, it gives you an idea what the movie's about. It kind of gives you the the main, like, this is the main plot of this movie kind of thing. It kind of teases some cool things about the movie, like... Um, and that's it. You know, it, it gives you a good sense of what the movie's about. Like, you know, you'll know, is, is this a horror movie? Is it a comedy? Is it a romance? Is it an action movie? You know, you'll you'll know that from the trailer. You have a, a general idea of the, of the basic plot. And really, it's just enticing you to watch the movie, Right, the the trailer isn't going to tell you how the movie ends because then why wouldn't you go see the movie? You know, it's not going to tell you everything that's going to happen because again, why would you go see the movie if you already know everything that's going to happen? It's going to tell you just enough to let you know whether or not this is the kind of movie you would like and to get you excited to see this movie if it is the kind of movie you would like. So you're trying to do the same kind of thing with your query letter and you're doing this in the equivalent of a paragraph or two and then you also may tell the agent a little bit about yourself if if there's or or experience you have if there's anything relevant to tell them and that's your query letter so that is its own art form its own skill you have to master um, how to do this because the thing to understand is Agents are incredibly busy people and they get so many query letters, like so many queries all the time. Um, I know one of the agents that I queried said he gets 
I don't remember the number, but it was over a thousand submissions a year. So that's a lot, right? Um, that's enough that I would venture to guess if you're getting a thousand submissions a year, um, you're you're not reading all of them, probably, right? Because it, it's not like the only part of an agent's job is reading queries every day. Like they, that's probably a relatively small um, chunk of their time, what they're doing every day. Um, so they don't have a ton of time to spend on it. And and I know from reading the Query Shark blog, um, at least from from what she said, and also, you know, it, I've heard uh, agents interviewed on podcasts before and, and they've all said similar things that they they are very busy. They get loads and loads of queries. They they don't have time to read everybody's full ma- manuscript. They don't even have time to read everybody's first chapter. So when they're reading these query letters, they're really looking for something that's really going to jump out of the crowd and grab them and say, this is something special. This is something... Uh, I mean, to really put a fine point on it. This is, this is a book you're going to be able to sell and make a lot of money on. I mean, that's the bottom line. That's what this is about. So, you know, that's what you're trying to do with your query letter. You're trying to be that query that's just going to make that agent so excited. They're going to drop everything they're doing and email you and say, send me your damn book right now. I want to read it. That's what you're trying to do. So learning how to do that is is a process and and there is um like any pretty much any kind of writing there there is a form to it there there is a, a correct way to write a query letter and a lot of wrong ways to do it but there's only one right way to do it um and you have to do it that way like you have to follow the rules and you have to do it the right way so that's a a lot to learn and practice and master um, if you are wanting to query and wanting to learn more about this, then again, I highly recommend the Query Shark blog. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And I'll also link to a CIFWA article, the uh, Science Fiction Writers of America or Science Fiction Fantasy Writers of America, I think it is. They have an article about querying and specifically uh, tips on writing your query letter and also writing your summaries, which is the next thing I'll talk about. So, okay. So again, every agent is different and you need to do whatever the specific agent you're querying wants you to do, find their submission guidelines and follow those to the letter. Um, but a fairly common thing you'll see is, is like I said, you know, the initial query, you might send them the query letter and maybe your first chapter. And then if they like what they see there, they may ask you for uh, the full manuscript and a summary. Um, so the summary, again, every age it's going to be different but in general there are kind of two different types of summaries and this is how they approach it in the sifwa article that i'll that i'll link in the show notes but um you you have your short summary and your long summary 
So some agents will ask you for the short summary, some will ask you for the long summary, and then you'll have agents that will ask you for something different, like something in between. But these are kind of general, you know, to give you an idea. So the short summary is one to two pages. So in one to two pages, summarize your entire novel. <laughs> and you need to get all the major, you know, all your all the character arcs, the plot arc, like you have to get all the elements in there. So the agent can read this and and know what happens in the novel. And then the long summary is the same kind of thing, but you're taking, you're giving a paragraph to each chapter. So you're giving a paragraph summary of each chapter. Um, and then that's, you know, however many pages that's going to be. So those are those are your summaries, and again, this this article on the Sifwa blog gives some some tips for for writing good summaries. And yeah, and then hopefully they like it and they want to represent you. Now, another thing is when you send the query, when you send your query letter, and if you're sending like say a chapter with it, you know you don't just like attach a PDF or a Word doc or something to your email because that would be way too easy. Now, of course, that's not the reason. The reason is because um, viruses and whatnot and, you know, those things are often attachments. And and so <laughs> a great way to, to avoid a lot of viruses and other malware is to just not open emails from people you don't know that have any kind of attachments. So yeah, sending an agent an email with an attachment is bad form and pretty much every agent I've seen speak or write on this subject says that any email, they any kind of query they get, any submission they get, unsolicited submission they get that has an attachment goes directly into their spam folder. They don't open it, they don't read it, it just goes into spam. In fact, it, they probably don't even see it because their spam filters just automatically put it into the spam folder. So, yeah, you can't just attach your first chapter as a Word document or a PDF. You have to embed it or copy-paste it into the actual email. And, you know, that takes some doing. It's not as simple as just highlighting the text in Word, hitting Control-C, putting your cursor in the email and hitting control V. I wish it was that simple, but it's not. Um, because you're going to have formatting issues and things like that. So, so really what you need to do is you copy it from Word and then you paste it in the notepad, which is going to remove all the formatting and all the stuff. And then you have to go through and manually put in the spaces between the paragraphs because you don't want to indent in an email. Like for your manuscript, you're double-spaced and indenting first lines of paragraphs. But for the email, you don't want to do that. You want single space and you want spaces between your paragraphs. So yeah, you have to you have to copy the text into Notepad and then you have to go manually put in those spaces uh, between the paragraphs. And, and then you copy it from Notepad to Word, and then you check it and make sure everything's as it should be. Um, and yeah, that's fun. It takes some time. It takes some time to do. 
So you got your query letter, you've got your summary. Um, now, when it comes to the point that they ask for the whole manuscript, I think at that point, they, they like now you've emailed back and forth a couple times. And, and I think at that point, you can send them a file. Um, because, yeah, I don't think they're going to have you copy and paste the whole manuscript, <laughs> your 100,000-word novel into an email. Um, yeah, I think at that point, you can send them a, the Word doc. Uh, but yeah, and then, you know, you, ideally, you keep track of this, right? Because you see, you know, if you're querying, you know, five to 10 agents a week, uh, it's, that's a lot of queries. It's more than you're going to be able to keep track of in your head. So you need some way to keep track of, you know, which agents did you query? When did you query them? Things like that. Um, you know, a lot of people will use a spreadsheet or something like that. Um, I'm using a website called Query Tracker, and, and I'll link that in the show notes as well at LexStarWalker.com. Um, but the uh, Query Tracker is an online tool that uh, I, I think I already mentioned it, but, but you can actually look up agents on it, and then you can make your list of agents you want to query, and then you can tell Query Tracker when you query them, and, and it helps you keep track of all that. And and it's free to use. They do have some uh, more advanced tools, especially when it comes to searching for and finding agents uh, that require you to, to pay to use those. But to just use it to keep track of where you're sending queries, um, that doesn't cost you anything to, to use. Um, I will probably, once I get through my, my agents I've handpicked and I start just kind of casting a wider net... Um, I will probably look into their paid thing because I've heard that it that it can be worthwhile. So I'm I'm gonna look into that. And and if I end up getting that, I'll I'll let you know what I think of it. So so yeah, and then I guess the last thing I could talk about as far as that is, is how did I find my top five agents? And uh, you know, this is pretty common. This isn't uh gonna be a revelation unless you're totally new to this. But uh what I did is I thought about what are novels that I've read that have come out recently um, that are either similar in some way to what I'm doing or are, are books that I think like someone who read this book would also and, and liked it would also like my book. Right. Um, a lot of times we call them comps, comparisons, I think is what that's short for. Um, you know, where you're saying, well, my book is kind of like this book. Um, so that's a great place to start to find agents. Um, so for instance, if you write a book that is very similar in some ways to The Martian, maybe it's also a thriller set in space or whatever, um, and you think that someone who loved The Martian would love your book, then you might look into The Martian's author, Andy Weir, and find out who his agent is. And that might be a good agent for, for you to query. And indeed, that that is one of, um, one of my agents that, that I queried. Um, his name is... Uh, oh, man. I'm going to screw up his name. <laughs> <laughs> um oh, I should have looked this up. 
I should have looked it up. Um, his name is David. Um, it could be Fugate, Fugate, Fugate. <laughs> I have no idea how to pronounce his his uh, his last name, but he's with an agency called uh, Launch Books Literary Agency, um, and and they're all about the kind of sci-fi that that I like to read and and write. Um, so so he was actually um, one of my top pick agents because I just. I think my my books would fit very well with the books that that his agency has has already represented, and um, yeah. So as far as how you find that out, uh, the easiest way that I know of is um, to look in the acknowledgments of the book. So you know, let's say you you wrote something that's that you think. Uh, would go well with uh, the Martian. So you look in the acknowledgments of the Martian, and, and a lot of times in the acknowledgments, the author will thank their agent and, and name them there. Um, so that's a great place to start. Um, you won't always find it there, but a lot of times you will. And then, um, barring that, you know, there's always a you know searching online. You know, do a Google search or whatever, and and you know, a lot of times you can find out who a given author is agent is. Um, so yeah, you know, that's, that's what I did is, is I found books and authors that, that I like that, that I think, you know, their readers would, would enjoy what I'm doing and found out who represented them. And, and that's where I started. Another thing, another aspect of it for you might be, um, publishers so if there are certain publishers or imprints that you're interested in getting published with, then that's something to consider too, is um, what what experience a given agent has had with that publisher. Um, you know, ha- have they represented books that that publisher published? Because... Um, you know, that, that suggests they may have some inroads with that publisher, or at least they have a relationship with that publisher, um, you know, that, that would be better for you, you know, as far as your chances of, of getting p- taken on by that publisher, maybe than going with an agent who's never worked with that publisher before. Um, but I am not an expert on any of this stuff. I'm just passing on what I've learned and, and what I'm doing. Um, you know, if, if you know of other strategies, definitely let me know. Cause yeah, I'm, this is my first time ever querying. I've never, I've never done this. Um, so this is all, all new to me. Um, and yeah, as far as thoughts on it, wow, it's interesting. You know, I mean, everybody's going to be different, right? Like how we react to things emotionally, you know, everybody's going to be different. Um, so what I experienced may not be what you experienced, but my experience so far, which I've only queried two agents so far, um, is I get really anxious like afterwards, um, especially the first one. Maybe each one gets easier because the second one wasn't as bad as the first one. But gosh, after that, after I sent off that first query letter, like, as soon as I hit the send button, I suddenly became convinced 
that somehow there was a typo <laughs> in my query letter that I had somehow missed. Even though I'd read it, my wife had read it, um, I'd had other people read it. I mean, I'd read it numerous times. Um, but I just became convinced. I was like, somehow there's a typo in there I missed. It's going to make me look like an idiot. And so I went and I read the email like three times and could not find a single typo or error of any kind that I could find. Um, so yeah, I was just being paranoid. But uh, yeah, I was really anxious that whole night, um, just on edge. Um, the second time was a little better, but still I was like, you know, high anxiety for like the rest of, of that day. Um, that's just my experience. And, and it's, it's a completely just irrational, emotional thing. It's not something I can control. It, you know, it's not because I'm like, I don't know, in the wrong headspace or thinking weird things or anything like that. It's just a, uh, an instinctive response, you know? And yeah, it's, it's interesting. But I feel really good about the book I wrote. I really do. And I feel, I feel like I'm in a good place. I, I feel like if I get the book in front of the right person who, you know, likes that kind of thing and, you know, is willing and able to sell that kind of thing, I I think they'll they'll like it. And, you know, I'm not gonna say that it's perfect. Um, I'm sure it's not, but I think they're that it's solid enough that someone uh can see what's there and and see that it's a story people are gonna enjoy. So yeah, I mean I I maybe I'm overconfident. I don't know, but but I, I do feel like I, I, it's just finding the right person. It's finding, you know, the agent who, you know, likes that kind of thing and they, they're ready to take on a new writer and they have the time and, and all that stuff. Um, how long that will take and how many agents I'll have to query before I find that person, I have no idea. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm prepared for the long haul. You know, there's a there's a quote. Um, let me find it actually, because I have my quotes right here, my motivational quotes that I collect. But there's a great quote on this that I found in a writing magazine about querying and how many queries people send. So this is a a woman. She's a writer. I don't remember what she wrote. Um, she's not someone I'm personally familiar with, but but it was a writer they interviewed for, for an article I read. Uh, her name is Lisa Williams Klein. And she said, over the years, I've noticed that many successful writers are the ones who revised 25 times instead of just twice and sent to 100 agents instead of 20. So yeah, I'm, I'm prepared to send to well over 100 agents is what I'm saying. Um, whatever it takes. Like I said, there's somewhere between 100 and 150 that, that came up on the search yesterday for agents who uh, represent sci-fi and are currently accepting submissions. So that's a lot. So yeah, I got my work cut out for me. But uh, just keep on keeping on. So that's the whole, you know, querying thing. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep on writing. You know, I just, I had a thought or... 
I don't, I don't want to say it's a revelation because it's not like this is really a new idea to me, but it's more of a of a shift in my perspective, a, a, a shifting in my perspective that's been going on for a while now. But more and more, I, I'm realizing that, you know, my my job as a as an author is to write books, plural, right? It, it's not to write this one book that I just wrote or the next book I'm going to write. It's to continuously write books. So, you know, I'm I'm going to query this book. When I finish the next book, I'll query that one if if I haven't sold this one yet or haven't gotten an agent yet. Um, you know, and I'm I'm going to do that. But what I'm really about is is writing books and and that's going to be my f- real focus and you know, just keep doing that. Um I think it was Stephen King said the the first million words you write are practice, right? Um, You know, a lot of writers have said similar things in various ways of, you know, you're going to write numerous novels before you write one that's going to sell. So this book I just finished was my my second novel. Um, So I'm not not to a million words yet. I'm, uh, where am I at? Just, well, let's see, just between my two novels, I'm at 250,000-ish. And then I had a novella. So I'm I'm probably at about 300,000 words. So I'm just under a third of the way to a million. Um, just counting, you know, the recent stuff that I've done. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, I may not sell this book now. I may not sell the next book now. It may be the book after that or the book after that. But, you know, eventually I'll sell one. And when I do, then, you know, the, the others may get some some love, right? <laughs> Especially since I, I plan to, you know, write all these books in the same setting. So if I find a publisher that that wants to buy one of them, they'll, you know, assuming that book does well, they'll they'll probably have some interest in in the other ones. So, uh, yeah, just keep on keeping on. So as far as that, um, gearing up for the next book, uh, I have uh, some world building I want to do. I, I made a promise to myself with, you know, these books that that between, e- you know, when I'm ready to start an, a new book each time, that I will flesh out the setting more. Um, so before I start a new book, I will take some time to do some more world building and, and expand. So I want to further develop and flesh out Union City because uh, the second bus- book is also going to take place there. And one of the things I, I want to flesh out is uh, I, I've established that there are nested cylinders. I've established in the book what I think a couple of them are. But I, I have not, at least in the book, I didn't come out and say how many total there were. Um, I mean, I think I know how many there are, but I haven't done all the math yet. So I want to figure out exactly how many nested cylinders there are, how large they are, and what their gravities are. Um, and, and do all the math and, and, uh, and yeah, figure that out and, and get, that, get that nailed down. Um, as far as a world building, 
Um, I've got some research I want to do. I want to do more research into uh, some of the careers that my characters have. So I want to learn more about robotics engineering, software engineering, and AI systems. Just uh, for, you know, working knowledge to have. And then as far as, you know, the book itself... I want to brainstorm situations and conflicts I could throw the characters in. Um, you know, I know my setting I want to use. I know the characters I want to use. Um, now I just got to figure out, you know, what is the what is the situation that they have to deal with in this book? And then, uh, yeah, I, I've already mapped out and described the main character relationships. I, I have basically three main characters I'm going to focus on in the next book. So as part of my prep uh, for this next book, I kind of mapped out their relationships with one another. And it's not like our love triangle or anything like that, but, um, but kind of where each of these three characters relationship stands with the other two, each of the other two and where I see them going in, in this next book. So, so I've already done that, um, which is honestly probably the most important thing. Um, and really what I want to focus on. And, uh, the, the, the situation will just be a vehicle with which to do that, to explore the character arcs. So yeah, I've already got some some done and have a bit to do, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to to get moving on this next book and and really looking forward to drafting again. Hopefully, that will be very soon. Well, that's going to wrap it up, I think, for episode 69. Went a little long today. I guess I shouldn't be shocked. I think this tends to happen when I go months without doing a podcast. But uh, yeah, try to keep the show shorter. <laughs> try to keep it under an hour. But uh, yeah, we went a little long today. But uh, it's great to be back. Great to be behind the mic again. Really hope I hear from some of you. Uh, shoot me an email, lexoutloudpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Mastodon. That's lexstarwalker at zirk.us, Z-I-R-K dot U-S. Uh, or just search for Lex Starwalker on Mastodon. I'm sure you'll find me. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at Lex Starwalker, but I don't do much on Twitter anymore. Um, so if you use Mastodon, that's the place to follow me. Uh, you can call my voicemail 951-465-5391 and leave me a message. Ask me a question, make a comment, say hi, read your favorite haiku. I don't care. Call my voicemail. It'd be great to hear from you. Uh, finally, join our community on Discord. We have a lot of fun there. Um, something really cool that's happened, I think, since I put out the last episode even is uh, Discord has the forum functionality now, uh, which I've started using in my server. Uh, and it's really great. And I really like it. The only downside that I've found is I think the way it works is 
by default, you do not get notifications from the forum. So like, for instance, if you're a member of my server, uh, unless you've gone in and changed your, your preferences recently, since the forums came out, um, you're not going to get any notifications when someone makes a post in the forum like you would if someone posted in the peanut gallery. So, uh, yeah, if you, if you're a member of the server and you're like, man, what's going on with Alexa server? I haven't gotten a notification in a long time. It's because we're using the forum a lot more and you're not getting those. So, so you can go into your Discord servers and you can turn those notifications on and then you will get them. But it does seem like by default they are off. Um, so yeah, that's I, I sometimes I wonder how many people are completely missing out on the form stuff because they don't have those turned on. I should actually make a post about that in the uh, Discord because yeah, I bet a lot of people don't don't know about that. So uh, yeah, check out our Discord. You can find a link to it as well as the show notes at lexstarwalker.com slash lol and. Uh, in the show notes for this episode, you can also find uh, the references I talked about. I'll have those linked for you so you can check them out and uh, learn more about querying and query letters and, and all that good stuff. So thanks so much for joining me on the show again. And uh, I'll be back much sooner <laughs> than last time with a new episode of Lex Out Loud. And until then, keep writing. <laughs>